Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Food that's good for the environment, good for the people who eat it, and good for the people who grow it. They pick it so it's beautiful when it comes to market, and you get to enjoy that. Local businesses is the, the first place that we can directly support somebody. You've got to believe in what you do, and if you stick to that, then you're getting there anyway. G'day, Steph Postuba with another Quicksand Food Podcast. Today I speak with Boris Georgiou from Delano Coffee in North Wollongong. Boris is one of the managers there. Delano Coffee is a specialty coffee supplier working out of their factory in North Wollongong. And as you'd expect with most specialty coffee, they pay very close attention to both where they source their beans, the process of roasting and production, and then also how they transfer that quality into the cup. They're always looking to increase the quality that they have, and they're a fantastic local Illawarra supplier. I had a great conversation with Boris, so I hope you also enjoy this chat with Boris Georgiou from Delano Coffee in North Wollongong. Do you want to just give us a background of Delano Coffee and you know what you guys do? Our history. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, so we have been around uh, as Delano Coffee for about seven years. Um, I think um, one of the interesting things is we didn't start out with the idea of doing what we do now. Right. Okay. Um, so in the beginning, it, you know, started sort of as a as a like a small startup. Um, we had two founders, um, and they uh, they came from coffee equipment. So they they'd both been working in the Australian industry, focusing very much on the equipment side of the uh-huh. business. Um, and working with lots of roasters all around, and I think they, they kind of they liked something about coffee and about what was sort of happening at the time. Um, the interesting thing, though, is the company kind of started out, I guess, as a like a, a coffee company, not a specialty coffee company. Right. And there's this sort of very two diff like they're two different things. Um, did you say it was six, seven years ago when it started? About seven, well, seven and a half years ago. So, the, yeah, like, so the, even the, the term specialty coffee wasn't very familiar with people back then. No, no. Yeah. Um, it's it's um, one of the gr- great things we have in Australia is that we are probably um, the most progressive as an entire country. Yeah. So you've got, like, awesome little hubs of um, specialty coffee in California, the UK, um, in Scandinavia. Um uh, and, and sort of, you know, peering around the globe. But Australia, across the spread, we, we have, like, one of the highest levels of um, coffee quality. I agree. And so we're very spoiled in that sense. For, as, um, a, as a person that just likes to drink coffee, 
I see that in just having travelled as well in just the, the the quality that you get from your everyday cafes in Australia. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're a decent cafe, chances are you'll make a pretty good coffee. But if you go overseas, it's really hard to find what I would regard as a good coffee in almost every country I've been to. Yeah, yeah. Well, I find, because I, I travel a fair bit for work too, I, a lot of the time I'll go to a country, um, I use the example, uh, last year I went to Berlin. Um, it was just not a work work trip, just a personal holiday. Um, and uh, yeah, we were walking through Berlin and I saw you know what looked like a trendy little cafe. I went in, had a flat white. I was like, oh, that is like an Australian. And it was run New by Zealand. an Australian. But yes, it was run by an Australian. <laughs> of course it was. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, um, I feel like that's one of our... Also, in, in the coffee industry, that's one of our, our, our best gifts to the world is all the expats leaving to take that culture across, yeah. the, across the sea. I've, I've, I've had that exact same experience where I've been in a place and I've been like, good coffee in this area. And it's like, Kiwi-owned cafe, da-da-da-da-da, makes this nice yeah. coffee. It's like, well, you've got to go there. Or Australian-owned cafe, you've got to go there. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so across the board, we're sort of, you know, we, we're really blessed in that sense. Um, and... It's, it's good because it also breeds competition. If, if, if so many people are making amazing products, then consumers go, you know, they're not going to settle for second best. Mm. And that kind of fuels the cycle of getting better and, uh, you know, finding better coffees, really, and, and sort of serving them more transparently. So, um, you know, quite early, uh, it was about five years ago I sort of came into the mix um, and I, you know, I came from a design background. Um, I didn't really know a lot about the coffee industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd worked as a barista when I was at university, um, and I just the first thing I did is started researching. So, you know, what what is coffee? Where, you know, how does the industry work? Who are you know people that we sort of would look up to? Um, you know, and where do we want to go? And sort of so the last five years has really been sort of redirecting who we are and what we do to that side of the, the spectrum. So I think you know, people struggle to define specialty coffee. There's so many different ways to think about it. Um, there are you know, associations around the world that sort of have a definition of specialty being a quality score. So you know, in, in our industry, we have the equivalent of a, a sommelier, and they're called mm. a, a Q grader. So their job is to grade coffee from origin and they follow very strict protocols and they have certain ways of tasting coffee and they look for things like defects um, and and qualitative scores. Now, um, that's great and it's something that we follow in-house as well. Um, So is that across the whole board, these these people that that score coffee, that that system of whatever it might be, accreditation or scoring, is run throughout coffee all around the world yes so the, the, the good thing about that is the it's, it's run by two associations so the specialty coffee association of america and the specialty coffee association of europe and they've actually just merged to become a global specialty wow, okay. coffee association so there there's an institute in california called the cqi so coffee quality institute and they built this program of grading yeah um and it's it's the, the program's the same, doesn't matter where you are in the world or what coffee you're tasting, That's you great. can all score it on, on one sort of um, uh, quality scale. That's great. Um, yeah. So the designation there is, um, you know, coffees that score um, above 80 are technically then designated specialty coffee, yeah, and okay. coffees that score below 80 are coffees that are called commodity coffee. Yeah. Um, now, I think that's a great system um, because what it does is it's... It's standardized and it, it takes away an aspect of 
financialness from it all. Um, coffees that score really high on quality are very sought after because as, as the coffee industry sort of grows, um, the, the, the greatest growth is actually in the top end of the industry. Yeah. So people that are focusing on specialty coffee. Um, and that seems to be sort of one of the driving parts of that is taste. Does it taste good? Mm. Yes. Um, then, you know, then in, 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 is it, you know, taste is being a, a, a huge sort of, hugely impacted by terroir and agricultural pro- processes and stuff at origin. Um, now, the cool thing about that is because it's, you have a product that is of a high quality and, you know, that is sought after, then naturally, um, you know, it, it attracts a higher price. So that's the other good thing yeah. about specialty coffee is, you know, these producers that are focusing on agricultural practice and, and, and growing to, to, to make awesome tasting coffee um, secure much, much higher prices um, than um, producers that work with, you know, things like fair trade and, you know, greater commodity coffee. Mm. Um, so that's, that's one great thing that we like about specialty coffee and it's sort of a way of saying, well, what is specialty coffee? Um, another way of defining specialty coffee, and this seems to be a uniquely sort of Australian thing or, you know, the, the coffee hubs that I mentioned before, is this idea of transparency. So, you know, 15 years ago, you know, you had this idea of a coffee roaster would buy coffees from all around the world and they would blend it and it was sort of this mysterious process. You know, they, mm. you wouldn't tell people what coffee you bought or where. You didn't talk about provenance. You didn't talk about processing. You didn't tell people what was the makeup of a blend because it was your secret. You know, it was what made you a master roaster. It, yeah. And specialty coffee seems to have sort of thrown that on its head. Um, and it was very much pioneered in Melbourne. Um, you know, like the, the, the roasters that can take credit for that, you know, are people like Seven Seeds, you know. Yeah. Um, they, they were the first to sort of say, you know, this is, this is what a single origin is. This is what coffee tastes like from one place. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't blend this in any way. And that, you know, that sort of, that was, you know, probably 10, 10 years ago now. Mm. Um, it's, it's still so young, hey, to think yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. only 10 years ago. Yeah, no. Like, I remember drinking coffee when I was... I probably started drinking coffee when I was maybe 16, which is more than 10 years ago, and no one had any idea. It's like coffee was coffee. I remember working in a cafe when I was 16, and someone said, make that person a coffee, this is how you do it. And I kind of had no idea how to do it, no training, no nothing. So send out a coffee, and the customer's like, yeah, well, it's a coffee. Yeah, you know. yeah, no, yeah, totally. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So the, this idea of the transparency, you know, let's talk about where the coffee comes from. Let, let's work, you know, let's build a relationship with the producer. Yeah. You know, um, um, we we actually started flying around the world, going to Origin to meet the people we buy coffee from, yeah. um, working with, you know, a certain tier of brokers because we still have to somehow get the coffee from there to here. Um, but at least we, you know, we can go to the places which are producing the coffee. Mm-hmm. We meet people, we buy from them, you know, year and year again, and you start building a bit of a relationship. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's that, that. That's kind of also where I guess specialty coffee is heading. It's you know, it's about transparency. It's about relationships. Um, and then probably I think the last thing that, in my opinion, really defines specialty coffee is just the advancement of the science behind it. You know, we we understand so much more now than we did three years ago, five years ago, mm. ten years ago. You know, we have you know we have people in the industry talking about grinders. You know, looking at the way a grinder cuts coffee beans. You know, what happens to the particles, and then how does that influence extraction and flavor? We have coffee machine manufacturers looking at you know things like 
you know, varying temperature, at, you know, at the group head or varying the rates of flow and pressure. And what does that do to taste? And, you know, um, we have producers in, you know, actually growing the coffee, um, playing around with, you know, um, processing methods. So mm. what do they do with the cherry when they take from the tree before they dry it, um, the, the, the seed into, you know, what we call the coffee bean and send it on. So, you know, playing with uh, fermentation. So, you know, using, um, using techniques that have come from winemaking, like carbonic maceration and um, different types of um, very, uh, very focused um, bacteria strains to produce different fermentations. Um, you know, we're looking at different varietals. So we start talking about like um, ten years ago, you would you know you would go into a supermarket and you would say, "Oh, I'm going to buy some coffee beans," and you would see the bag and it says 100% Arabica. You know, and you right. think, "Oh, yeah. that's that's good quality <laughs> coffee because it doesn't have any robusta in it." But you know, to say that something is 100% Arabica is like saying something is 100% an apple. Yeah. Exactly, you know, when yeah. we go to the supermarket, we say, "All right, there's a Granny Smith apple, there's a Pink Lady, there's a Red Delicious," and now you know we're sort of talking about well, inside Arabica there are you know all these different sub species, yeah. you know, and and they have different flavors and they're grown differently and we look at them differently, um, and even you know talking about sort of you know um, Arabica's uh, less well as well known but less thought of cousin Robusta. Um, you know, we have producers now who are growing robusta and treating robusta in a very specific way, where the results are of a cupping quality that we associate with arabica. Yeah, okay. We, there, there's actually a new stream coming from um, the grading side, which is the Coffee Quality Institute and the Specialty Coffee Association, where they have an, what they call an R grader stream, which is robusta grading. Oh, okay. And there are robustas that taste sweet and complex. Um, and and you know are very low in defect, um, and they're emerging on the market now, yeah. which is really wild. Yeah, that opens up a whole new world. Yeah, so it's a kind of like you have this idea of you know um, quality, just quality in the cup, and transparency and where it's from, and then the science goes into it, yeah. and that's kind of you know that's where you, you differentiate what is specialty coffee versus what is greater coffee. So, going back to this original decision for Delano to become a specialty coffee roaster and to be a part of this sort of developing industry can we go back to sort of how that initial decision was made was it was it part, was it partly sort of like your input and your interest or like whose who's interest was, in specialty coffee sort of made that change it was sort of I guess it was a bit of a team thing it yeah. wasn't sort of one person saying no this is what we need to do um, it was more just you know, as we became aware of what was happening in the grading industry, we saw we saw this, we saw what was happening, and we and we liked it. You yeah. know, I mean, everybody wants to come to work and have fun and enjoy what they do, um, and so we thought to ourselves, you know, what are things about this that interests us? Mm. I personally really love the science behind coffee. Mm. I really engage with that, um, and uh, you know, I, I like to research, I like to test and trial change. Mm. Um, you know, we we like the idea of actually going to where coffee comes from exploring yeah. origin um and i think the first the first trip we ever made was actually to uh east no sorry west java um so we were visited a um cooperative up there called classic beans um in the hills uh, around bandung and um you kind of i guess you have moments where it's, you know in any 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 career in any industry that really drive oh this is what i'm doing and this is why i'm doing it 
And I remember for us that trip and you know, and some of the, some of the stuff we saw and, and what we learned was one of those sort of moments where it's like, wow, we, we, this is our job. This is what we get to do to earn a living. Yeah, you know? it's, that's amazing. It's, it's, it? it's yeah. you know, we, we just yeah, we just trekked up into the hills and we were on a small plantation, um, you know. And this this cooperative was you know really really impressive because um, in a lot of coffee producing nations you'll have a lot of time like government run stuff and then you'll have you know people that are trying to do their own thing and the cooperative is definitely that so yeah. you know it's a cooperative of uh, I think it was about 400 smallholder farmers yeah, wow. so every farmer had maybe maybe a thousand square meters of coffee plants that was their plants yeah, no. and um, you know and then sort of eight of the probably the most experienced senior farmers sort of ran the day-to-day operations because they built their own mill and it was during um, during this process we were at the mill and we were sort of cupping coffees because we wanted to buy some of the yeah. coffees um, and there was a, a, a coffee um, that was what we call a honey process. So a honey process coffee is where the, um, they pick the um, uh, coffee cherry. Um, and what they do is they kind of they take off um, a little bit of the pulp. So they sort of they depulp it, but they leave um, a lot of stuff, um, like a, a bit of the, the, the flesh and the um, silver skin and stuff and mucilage around the, the, the two beans or cherry uh, seeds inside the coffee cherry. Um, and then what they do is they dry it and they allow it to sort of ferment in that method. Yeah, right. um, and, uh, and what, you know, normally what they would do is if they were making a wash process, they wouldn't let it dry with that mucilage on. They would throw it in water and they would let it soak and that effectively releases the seeds out of the mucilage. Um, now, honey processing um, historically didn't really have a huge place in, um, in coffee because... You know, it's quite a hard thing to control. You need to sort of understand the process to get a really good quality product out of the end. But I remember we had a coffee that they, um, some cherries that they brought in from another place in Indonesia called Sulawesi, um, and they they applied a honey process to them. And when we cupped it on the table, it just this coffee reminded me of pan-fried bananas. <laughs> like that's all I could think about. I was sipping it, and it was just like, is that you know that that lightly caramelized banana sort of fritter style mm. taste and it was that was all I tasted and I was just kind of like whoa what is this we have to get this yeah. you know this is this is not coffee and I think I think for a lot of people in coffee that is the experience that brings them to coffee is that when they taste the coffee and they're like that doesn't taste like coffee yeah um, another experience that was similar around the same time was that I had a, a, a coffee from a farm in Panama which was a, a varietal of coffee called a geisha yeah um and it was from a farm called Don Pepe. And this coffee, um, the way it was grown, so the terroir of that, that farm, the volcanic soil, produced a, a coffee cherry um, and a seed that was really high in acetic acid. Yeah. Um, much, much more than normal. Um, and acetic acid is sort of, um, when you smell acetic acid and taste it, um, and it's you know you also have sugar there. It gives you it, it's very it's kind of like a strawberry. Yeah. And this when you when you ground this coffee and you smelt it, it smelt like um, Nesquik, the the you know the yeah. strawberry Nesquik. <laughs> it, it was crazy. I you know you you would think like has somebody flavored this somehow, but this is actually how that one coffee yeah. was sort of produced, and it tasted amazing. Yeah. And so again, it's the sort of those moments that made us go, we can live and work doing this. And that's awesome. So yeah. why why wouldn't exactly? We? Yeah. yeah. If you and and I think that in any business, if the people running it 
have a passion for and and a, and a real keen interest in their product and a motivation to continue to chase quality that's what keeps that business vibrant as well you, if you can't stand behind what you what what you're giving people and you let an experience like that drift away and go down some other route because you think that it might make you more money or whatever it might be like the the success rate for that sort of thing just isn't there you need to you need to be able to have a team and an ownership of a business that that stands behind the quality yeah. and takes takes those experiences like you talk about and uses them well, I think one of the interesting things and it's something that I've thought about recently as sort of we've grown as a business um, is that you know on a day-to-day basis we're never sort of sitting there wondering oh how are we going to grow and you know how are we going to you know like continue to expand and you know do we we don't really I know it sounds weird but we're kind of not really worried about money yeah but most business owners that's always the first thing on their mind most of the time we're just trying to think of oh what can we do next what's fun like what are we you know what are coffees that we can find um, who are people who you know that we can train and, and sort of work with to to make this coffee taste awesome mm. um, and that's sort of the biggest things that we kind of our biggest worry and it's I think it's the same worry that every coffee roaster has is that we have this network of people who at any given moment can make a decision that affects the quality of the produce that we serve mm. um, you know and it, it, that that's that's probably our biggest stress which is it's an interesting stress for a business to have mm. you know we kind of we just seem to organically grow every year mm. um, and that's that's a really good thing for us and a good thing for what we're trying to do. But yeah, we don't really kind of, I guess that our probably our stresses are maybe different to other owners. And I think that really comes from that idea of, um, you know, yes, like start with something that's really good at space and, you know, just put your time and energy yeah. into that. And I think that like what you're talking about as well is like not necessarily worrying about the economics of every decision you make is there's like this sort of inherent confidence that your product's high quality anyway and it'll sell because there's a market for it and you don't waver from quality which means that you've got this sort of confidence behind you that you'll still sell your product and pushing forward is the thing that's going to help you grow because Mm. you know finding new and creative things that interest you is the thing that's going to help you grow because the quality's already there the ethos is already there to to bring something to to market that's going to sell yeah 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 no that's definitely definitely right and i think but it's something that we have that like i said before is quite unique in australia because our coffee quality standard is really high across the board um you know the that that competition breeds further quality yeah but the, the thing about the coffee industry and it's something that we notice a lot because we see from producer through to roaster through to cafe through to you know the consumer that drinks the coffee in the cup is that we don't pay enough for coffee at the cup level yeah okay. um, it's really crazy you can you know you can walk into a cafe and you can have a, a flat white um, or a cappuccino or a latte and you pay three dollars fifty to four dollars depending on where you are now the coffee that went into producing that cup of coffee could be you know low grade commodity coffee that you know sort of um i mean it's really hard to to sort of comment on what pricing is but let's just say not a lot of money was paid for it Mm. and then it was roasted really really dark and you know homogenized out of what was potentially unique about that coffee or also what was defective about it um or on the other hand you could have had coffee that you know has a uh 
like comes from you know a quality focused buying system is roasted to try and stay true to its terroir and providence as a coffee and you know is, is put through equipment that cost a cafe owner twenty thirty thousand mm. dollars to put on the counter baristas that have been training and you know are really conscious and careful about everything they do and you get the two cups and you pay the same price for them that's interesting and, and and the thing is the only way this that it currently works is because the cafes that make a lot less money off that one cup of coffee just end up selling a lot more because yeah. that is it like at the end of the day consumers you know they, they pick with their taste buds they'll drink a coffee and go oh that's a really good coffee I'm going to come back here mm. um, you know but it's it's I think it's a conversation that you know as the world changes and as you know people expect more and more and more from coffee we will eventually have to have that conversation of you know coffee at the consumer level is too cheap mm. you know a, a, a cup of uh, coffee like like the second one that I spoke about shouldn't be three dollars fifty four dollars should be six seven dollars yeah. you would still enjoy it just as much but that would be a much more realistic. Yeah, um, you it's, it's going to catch up at some point as well because all the other costs are going to continue to go up. Yeah, Coffee yeah. can't always be four dollars a cup. Like I was talking to a chef about this, and it's similar within the restaurant industry. It's like no matter what restaurant you go to, thirty dollars is a pretty, pretty decent price to pay for it. Like for a main course, mm. if you know what I mean. Like, but it's the thirty dollar mark's been like the high main course price for ages. Yeah, and the cost of staff, the cost of electricity, the cost of everything else has gone up, but it's that thirty dollar mark for a main course or the four dollar mark for a cup of coffee that's that sort of high end price that's stayed the same for such a long time. Mm. So, yeah, like I don't know, it has to get to a point where the consumers understand that you know the new benchmark for a quality coffee is now. You're gonna pay four fifty for your flat white, or you're gonna pay five dollars for your flat white. You know, because it just—it's ha- all gonna catch up eventually. You can't always have four dollars as the price of it. Well, and the other thing too is, in the last sort of um, five years, a lot of a lot of producers and a lot of um, roasters and a lot of sort of organisations to do with the the first part of the coffee supply chain. Um, we've seen and we've been talking about what's happening at Origin. So you know climate change um, you know has created an environment where insect damage and uh, fungus strains um, attack coffee plants and mm. you know um, pe- you know the industry are sort of um, do, you know helping out doing things in a, um, to sort of mitigate this so you know exploring new um, hybrid varietals so mm. you know using agriculture to try and work around that um, you know uh, new processing methods that allow producers to more accurately produce higher quality coffee that they can then sell for more money therefore they don't need to produce as much Mm -hmm. Um, you know those are all things that are happening but they will eventually sort of slide their way down the supply chain and it will affect how we drink our coffee Um, the other huge thing is this um, uh, you know the emergence of coffee in Asia so this is something that is is relatively new Um, and it's it's really interesting Historically, uh, throughout Asia, so China, India, Japan, um, you know, people uh, were historically very much tea drinkers. And um, it's sort of in the last 10 years, 15 years, there's this new kind of undercurrent and it's really driven by the youth um, of drinking coffee. And it's kind of a, I guess it's a throwback to sort of this, you know, sort of Western 
um, Western influences that have you know permeated mm-hmm. through culture. Um, but because of that, you know, you you have an environment there where um, you know there is a lot of advancement sort of happening in coffee globally. So they're sort of starting much much further than you know a lot of um, a lot of Europe did with you know ideas and notions of coffee. Um, and you know every year around the world you have this sort of um, you've got competitions and um, and auctions for like we call them cup of excellence mm. or best of um, auctions. Um, and the the biggest buyers in the last six years have been Asia, China, wow. and Japan, okay. and Taiwan. You know they're they're paying super high prices for quality coffee. Um, and you know what? They're actually charging the proper amount you would charge for a cup of that coffee in those in those markets because they don't have preconceived notions yeah. about what it should cost. Um, but the thing about that is, when you have big markets start deciding they want something that everyone else wants, you then create competition, and it's good for producers because producers can sell their coffee at a higher price yeah. um, and it's um, it's you know it's good for you know the, the industry to develop because it, it's a big market that wants something of a certain quality um, but what that means though is for the existing markets like Australia is that you know we now need to compete yeah. therefore we need to spend more at, at coffee origin and we need to you know prices will go up and that will eventually make its way down the supply chain as well mm. um, and you know it's it's not going to be huge drastic differences. We won't be in a position where you know we have to pay twenty dollars for a flat white, but you know, yeah, I'd say four fifty five dollars in the future will sort of eventuate um, yeah. for that to continue in the way that it does now. It'll have to. Let's go back to Delano. Mm. So, I guess at the start, like when you guys did sort of go down this line of specialty coffee, um, there wasn't anyone else in the Illawarra doing it. Well, no, not really. The Ill, we there's not actually that many roasters in the Illawarra. Yeah, um, it's quite a large place. You know, we've we've got a bigger population than Tasmania. But yeah, we kind of you know we're sort of one of the first roasters of the Illawarra. Um, there's another local roaster, Swell Coffee. Yeah, he's been around for for about the same amount of time, um, and that's slowly changing. Yeah, um, and it's sort of changing all around Australia. We're we're seeing more and more what we call micro roasters sort of startup shop um yeah but we were sort of i would say we're probably one of the first yeah. we're definitely the first to really focus on the quality aspect yeah. of coffee have you found have you found a sort of a good embrace by local cafes and sort of food culture and the hospitality industry in the Illawarra? yes definitely we um you know we wouldn't be who we are if we didn't you know have the relationships with our wholesale accounts so yeah. you know um, that's been huge for us, um, and we yeah we, we have a quite a sort of a good spread from um, you know uh, as far south as Bermagui even further awesome. yeah. all the way up to you know southern Sydney throughout Sydney. Yep. Um, we actually funny enough, uh, and this has all sort of happened organically. We have people that used to work at um, cafes um, that used our coffee um, throughout New South Wales that have then moved interstate and opened cafes of their own. So we actually have. Um, we've got a whole bunch of accounts in far north Queensland, so around Cairns and Port Douglas, um, which seems very weird. It's a long way to go. Yeah, yeah, it is a very long, long way, way to go. But you know, they they they're actually incredibly successful cafes in those areas as yeah, well. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and then on the on the convex of that, we also have a whole bunch of cafes that use our coffee down in Hobart, so okay, in Tasmania. Yeah. So it's sort of the top of east, the top of the east coast, and the bottom of the east coast as well. That's cool. Um, <laughs> do you? Do you have sort of 
systems in place to ensure that the quality and attention to detail that you put in in this facility translates into the cup when it's served to a customer in a cafe in Hobart or North Queensland? Yeah, so there's there's a couple of things we do. So um, uh, first of all, um, we our coffee roasting plant, um, even though we sort of you know a boutique producer and we're focusing on specialty coffee uh we are actually hacccp certified Mm -hmm. so that means um we every year we are audited um and we have really really stringent um handling and um processing controls around how we produce coffee um which is really good for us and it's really good for the cafes that serve the coffee um Before we actually get to the cafes, our in-house team, um, in terms of uh, quality control, we we are cupping coffee from Origin every week, um, you know, sometimes multiple times a week, um, and our buying program is very much based around being true to seasonality in coffee, and also modifying our blends um, quite a lot, so Mm -hmm. that we're sort of going for the same taste profile. That's historically what a blend really is for, it's to take different coffees from different places because coffee being an organic product is seasonal um, and blending it to create a flavor palette the same way you would blend a perfume or mm-hmm. you know um, or even like a like brew a beer mm-hmm. um, is you want it to taste a certain way so yeah so we're really really proactive in that sense um, and then yeah we've got a training department so um, we've got several staff members who are exceptional baristas themselves and we've built a training program so we go and provide training to our wholesale accounts um, multiple times a year. Um, we run a school um, here. Yeah, and we yeah. actually travel to the accounts to train them as well. Yeah. And it's really hard. Um, and that's, like I said before, that's one of the worries, I guess, of a roaster is that, you know, in the production of espresso, everything, mm. there are so many things that can affect it. It's mm. crazy. And, and because, you know, we're using such small values, so, you know, small amounts of coffee, small amounts of water, Accurate temperatures, accurate pressures, um, time, uh, you know, and then people, um, you know, we have uh, close to 70 wholesale accounts um, and across those accounts, you know, let's say across all of them, each account would have an average of six or seven baristas. That's like 500 people that at any given point can make a decision that will affect a cup of coffee. So we, we definitely try our hardest to sort of, um, you know, uh, do what we can do both from you know sourcing and roasting through to you know um, trying to only use specific equipment brands and models because mm-hmm. we know them we know how they how they need to be serviced how they react how they make our coffee taste um, and then yes training 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 but you know it's like any any chef will tell you you know hospitality is is a people business um, very rarely will you have people work in hospitality in one place for a very long time so yeah no, that's that's kind of the support that we give our wholesale accounts. We're not that classic coffee roaster that just throws, you know, branded crockery and umbrellas and windbarriers and all that <laughs> stuff at them. No, no, we, we, we try to focus on training. Yeah, cool. An observation of mine, and it's probably through watching what's happened with Campos, in, is, is that when, when an artisan artisan organization whether it be coffee or wine or whatever it might be is small it's viewed it's viewed that there's 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 quality like inherent there'll always be inherent quality because it's it's small and it's and it, and it's managed but then once it's upscaled 
people it, it, it can sometimes lose that identity of like true quality and I, I, I sort of remember used to I used to think that Campos was the best the best coffee you could possibly get and now not so much because I don't I don't know about their practices but you just see it everywhere and and that's sort of just an association that happens do you find that that's sort of like hard to sort of like upscale but at the same time retain an identity of real attention to quality yeah it's um it's interesting coffee is in an effect fashionable yeah so you've also got that problem of fashion changes and fashion cycles are getting faster and faster and faster um now campos um you know 10 years ago in newtown they they pioneered um certain aspects of the way we produce Mm. coffee um what they were doing at that time is not really what the industry you know progressive side of the industry does now um and in some aspects they haven't really changed their ethos um, but that being said, like you said, they, they've grown really big and, and you know, it's, it's hard to um, scale up everything you do and just continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. There's sort of a point where things must change because that's economies of scale. Yeah. Um, so, you know, last I heard, Campos had 550 cafes across Australia that served their product. So, you know, on that same idea, that's... 5,000 people that can make decisions every yeah, okay. day that affect something, you know, that that really at the end of the day, it's, it's so hard. It is so hard at that point to, you know, keep that, um, to keep the delivery of quality. It's not, I don't think, you know, I, I don't like to speak ill of any, no. any company ever. I don't think, you know, from a management and from a, that perspective that they don't want to produce quality coffee. They, they buy some great coffees. Um, I just think that when you're that big, it's really yeah. difficult to so actually apply that. Does that mean that for Delano, there's, there's there might be a bit of a critical mass when it comes to what you guys do? Or oh, well, yeah, we we have definitely discussed that in house. There is a point of you know where we we've, we've decided where you know we will get to this size, and I'll be honest, it's it's probably only ten percent of what someone like Campos is now. Yeah, where we you know the decision to continue to grow can be taken in two ways. So one of the ways we want to do it is, okay, we sort of, we're at a point where, you know, we, where our growth is, you know, really big for, for what we are at this point in time. Um, and what we can do is we can focus on the way we run our business. So efficiency, yep. um, we can focus on clients. You know, it might be that at that point we, you know, we, we, we up the ante on our training and, you know, we sort of like new clients come on board and old clients leave us. Um, you know, you can run a business like that. I personally prefer that method because I feel like, if, you know, and I see this in a lot of other roasting companies, they get bigger and bigger and bigger and they get to a point where, all right, we need another roaster. We need a bigger facility. We need to double our team. And, you know, those things that, that, point of scaling up is is really hard Mm. you know it's really hard to keep true to what you're doing so yeah no i think um our idea is there is a point where we'll get to where it's just like you know it's a great business and we can sort of continue to have fun yeah um but you know growing so big is not really critical at that point you know um and I i feel like at the end of the day you also have that problem the bigger you get the more stressful everything gets, you know, the more people you have, the <laughs> yeah. more, you know, the more people are alive, <laughs> like, you know, the more, right. the more opinions from, from clients and all this sort of stuff happens. And it's just kind of, you know, I don't 
don't know. It's, yeah, it's a really intense part of yeah. like what the business cycle is. I I have a couple of um, friends who you know have worked in hospitality and restaurants um, on a large scale, on a small scale, and they say that you know um, you know running a, a fifty seater restaurant is a whole different ball game to running five fifty seater restaurants, which is a different ball game to running one three hundred seater restaurant. Yeah. You know, there's all these things that come into play, and you can you can run any of those three models and make a you know really good livelihood and, yeah. and have fun and do all these things. But you know, at the end of the day, uh, I I personally would prefer to run something a bit smaller um, and maybe try to work on you know a customer base that is happy to pay for a certain product that has a certain margin attached to it, and you know we sort of all win in that sense. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Do, just changing direction a little bit. Was the coffee house always here? Actually, this is kind of funny. So this is part of that journey of you know what who we are. So in the beginning, we you know we had our brand of coffee, but then we we had a coffee house and we named it something completely different. Yeah, right. Okay. And it was kind of like you know that was part of the journey of well you know what this is where we showcase what we think coffee can be and how we like to produce it. So we sort of merged them and renamed it after the brand. Yeah. Okay. Did is is the coffee house sort of a bit of a hub where you can educate the public on what you do out the back as well? Yeah, we try to. Um, you know, it's um, the idea with... Um, and this is also looks at the evolution of who we are as a company. The idea is we treat the coffee house as the cellar door. Yeah, um, so, that's what it feels like. Yeah, that? yeah. So the idea is you can come in, you can, you know, drink coffee. There is, you know, some seasonally focused sort of cafe food attached to it because we have to be honest nobody comes just for coffee yep. um, and we're not you know you know we're in an industrial estate mm. um, because we're, we're a roaster so we, we need we need something to complement that um, but also then we have sort of our retail section where we have you know uh, every week we have different um, micro lots come through um, you can buy the coffee you can speak to someone about how you make it we've got implements to make coffee um, we've got a training school where we run um, currently we run barista courses but one of the things we're working on is actually a coffee appreciation course okay, so this is cool. a course designed for people that want to make coffee at home um, not necessarily working in the industry and you know they just want to know more they want to understand well what is coffee yep. um, and then yes how are the different ways I can make it what do I need to look for what are things I need to think about um, so that's something we're sort of putting together at the moment for launch a little bit later in this year that's really cool because I think that more and more now, I mean, as coffee grows and it just grows in conjunction, but people want to find the best way of making coffee at home. Yeah. And there's a lot of people out there who know that pods are shit. And, <laughs> and not even that. I mean, it's oh, pods is a whole nother, like, that, honestly, it's a nightmare for, yeah. for, for someone that understands coffee and sees what's happening. Ecologically, it's one of the worst things that we do yeah. as, 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 a, as a consumer base in Australia is buy coffee pods because you know um, they end up in landfill it's this tiny little bits of plastic it's you know it's as bad as the plastic bag yeah um, I think uh, I read a, a report um, that came out of Europe and it was at the time Hamburg in Germany as a city banned pods from anything that they could they banned the pods from so government institutions anything that you know had money from the public purse and, you know, it's sent these, you know, shockwaves in the market and this and that. But, you know, some very, um, you know, interested journalists started looking at, well, how many pods do we use? And I think in Europe, they were talking, you know, like 16 billion pods a year or something like, like, like crazy numbers. And, you know, 
pretty much all of them end up at landfill. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing too to remember with coffee pods is coffee pods in terms of a dose of coffee is actually very low. Mm. I, I think, you know, there are probably coffee pods that have decent coffee in it's them the sh- it's but the sh- it's just you know they roast it very dark and they they use about half the coffee that you would use in a traditional espresso yeah. machine to produce one espresso that's the thing I mean like and that's what I mean about people and, and running an appreciation course or something like that is that people want good coffee at home now and like I think people realise aside from the environmental impact of coffee pods and whatever it might be it's just not good coffee mm. and people want to learn how to make it at home and having downstairs you guys having V60s and aero presses and you know grinders and all that stuff that you can take home and, and, and optimize coffee and then also running an appreciation course where you can give people information about how to make really good coffee at home that really sort of like helps in that way and sort of yeah I don't know I think for a long time well for me for me as well you know I always buy coffee from a cafe because I, I never sort of made really good coffee at home but you know when you start like I make stovetop coffee at home now and like when you start buying specialty beans and grinding it fresh and putting attention into it you can really you know yeah, make it a good difference yeah yeah no and uh, we kind of um it's it's one of those things too as a, as the company grows you sort of I guess we can have more resources so it's you know people are I think people have wanted this for a long time. Um, the other thing we, we're planning on doing in the near future is having, like, I guess, you know, um, a bit like a uh, like the Apple Genius Bar. So, you know, when you go into yeah. Apple, like an <laughs> Apple store, you know, you, they've got all the products there, but you can go sort of talk to someone, they'll run it through with you and, and the like. You know, we, we have this idea of, all right, let's, you know, Wednesdays every week, we'll get some of the team that work behind the scenes and we'll run a Genius Bar for two hours. So members of the public can come in they can you know they can bring their aeropress from home and they can you That's know cool. bring their grinder or they can just come and ask about well this is what i'm doing and i'm not getting good results how do i change that mm. um another thing i don't know you know a lot of some roasters do do this is you know we produce little instructional cards and stuff mm. like that so all the products we sell downstairs there's little cards that come with them that you know run through how to do it our way um, it's not. I'm not saying our way is the correct way, but you know we've got a, a really interested team that sort of approach everything yeah. scientifically. So, you know, for example, with a pour-over uh, coffee, so you know we're grinding coffee, we're putting it in a paper filter, and we're just running water, hot water over it at gravity, so one bar of pressure. There's different ways you can do that. Um, the way we teach and the way we prescribe is like our method. We find gets better quality of extraction, and that's you know sort of what I think a lot of people suffer with trying to make coffee home is they, they under-extract the coffee. They don't, they don't follow a, a process that's sort of proven to, to, to make a nice full-bodied, sweet, round cup. Mm. So that's, um, you know, that's probably one of the pitfalls of making coffee at home. Um, it's crazy, though. As much as you know, we feel like we've progressed as an industry, um, I, I saw a, a, a business report that came out that a, a friend of mine who uh, we buy equipment off he uh he passed on and said oh this is some interesting reading for you as a coffee roaster and in australia 50 percent of all coffee consumed is still instant coffee as much as we are a super advanced nation for coffee in general 50 percent of all the coffee consumed in australia is still instant coffee yeah which is like that's you know and it's you know there (laughs) instant coffee is not a bad thing it's actually most people don't even know what instant coffee is all it is is coffee that's been brewed 
So they take roasted coffee, they run water through it, and they end up with these big vats of coffee, and then they freeze dry it. Yeah. So they just instantly they evaporate the moisture. So all you are doing when you make instant coffee is taking coffee that was brewed and rehydrating. Yeah. Um, and there are some interesting projects I've seen out there. There's a, a young startup in California um, called Sudden Coffee, and what they do is they take coffees of you know single origin high quality like you know um, unique terroir attached to them and then they brew them very very precisely like you would expect from a very high-end cafe then they dehydrate them so you can have an instant coffee, instant coffee that, right. that takes the high Silicon quality. valley google workers that yeah. don't have enough time to <laughs> <laughs> exactly i can have a you know a washed kenyan um oh, sl28 um, i tell you what i prefer to drink blend 43 than drink pods yeah, to be honest, you probably do less damage <laughs> yeah. to the environment yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No, but it's... Um, I mean, it's like anything... But yeah, it's, it's funny that you say there's like... You kind of... Being involved in the industry and, you know, enjoying the coffee and all that um, sort of stuff and knowing about it, like I... You know, I'm a bit of a coffee snob, obviously not the worst out there, but you sometimes can lose a bit of the perspective of where the industry is. And mm. when you read a stat like that, it's, it's interesting to go... Well, there's still a long way to go. Yeah, 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 definitely. And um, the, you know, the, the good thing and the thing that we like is that trying to stay progressive and trying to stay with, you know, what's happening very early on in the industry keeps us relevant. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I feel like there is this nice growth of new coffee roasters appearing on the market. Um, a lot of them starting off as micro roasters. And for us, you know, we, we think that's a good thing yeah. because... I mean, we found, you know, that doesn't really impact us as a business because we're not a macro roaster. Yep. The only the only people impacted are, you know, the people that produce coffee for the supermarket shelves um, and the people that are the big, big roasters like Campos and mm. Bella. And, you know, they're the guys that probably will, you know, over time lose market share and, mm. you know. But, yeah, no, it's really interesting the sort of rise of the micro roaster in the last 10 years as well. Mm. Um, but that's it. It's just 10 years. 10 years is such a small amount of time. Like, oh. there's so much growth to, to, to happen, to continue. So. And also what's, you know, what's been happening from, you know, just technology-wise in the last 10 years is crazy. Mm. Um, you know, four, four, four and a half years ago, we started using um, a second level of software to analyze every roast we do. And that just that did magic for how we roast and the quality that mm. we output um, but you know for a hundred years before that people were roasting blind they just you know, it was like a big oven they throw all the beans in there spin around yeah. they hit it with some heat it comes out looks kind of right smells kind of right yep we're good now we have a you know I have a I have a library of uh, currently it's about 18,000 temperature curves yeah. so we, we have a, we have a history of every roast We've done for the last four thousand years. Uh, sorry, four four years. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. No, so it's like it's it's really wild. Like that, you know. As technology's expanded, you know, I think the progression of what's happening in the industry is going to go crazy. Yeah, the next ten years are going to be wild. Yeah. Um, It'll be an interesting landscape in, yeah. in ten years. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we're sort of yeah, we've done quite a bit. Do you, is there anything you, you else you wanted to talk about? Is there anything happening with Delano or you know your your client base, other educational things that you guys do? Um, anything else that you wanted to talk about? Well, I think um, one of the things that we sort of started discussing as a team internally was um, uh, 
you know the idea of communities within an industry yeah um it seems to be about, very supportive like you were talking about yeah it earlier. is but i still feel like it's not there yet so right. you know in the in the illawarra if we if we start it you know Helensburg and we work our way all the way down to Jeringon. There are a lot of cafes, there yeah. are a lot of baristas, there are a couple of roasters, there's a lot going on and um, one of the things we tried to do uh, over the last two years is sort of build events, um, a, you know, not about, you know, promoting anything in particular, it's just let's bring the industry together, you know, and have fun. So we, you know, we've had a, had a movie night where we watched a film about coffee, mm-hmm. so it was a film made by um, an American filmmaking team. Um, where they, you know, they interviewed a whole bunch of progressive American roasters based out of Portland and um, LA and San Francisco, mm-hmm. and then they went to Kenya and you know it's kind of sort of like a, you know it was a beautiful film and it sort of it really spoke about what coffee could be and and you know the idea to give people a bit of a background. Um, we had uh, a latte art smackdown. They got very heated. <laughs> um, because there was, you know, a couple hundred dollars on the line, and sort of, you know, and it was a it was a knockout sort of um, style format. We've had ping pong nights, barbecues, and I think that's something that we really want to continue. Yeah, um, getting the community involved. Yeah, in, in building a community, building a community around coffee, because you know that's how we all sort of expand is as you know as as, as a as an industry yeah. um and i think that that's also part of that idea of transparency trying to be more and more transparent in every aspect of what we do um yeah we you know we're continuing our origin trips we're continuing you know um yeah our buying program um I don't, to be honest there's so many things there's going so on you know it's just like, yeah. I, I think that that's, and that's the uh that's that's something cool about the future of coffee as well is that there is so much happening like it's it's an interesting industry in the sense that it's all focused around this one thing which is this coffee bean Mm. and there's so much passion that goes into it on so many levels so from the people that grow it and places like Panama with geisha that you talk about that are at the absolute top level of production to people like yourself or other roasters and and specialty coffee people from Australia taking production processes to them and then you know cooperatives and collectives and community building an origin to transport to here and then the absolute ridiculous amount of science that goes into roasting it and then preparing it and then the people that are that just want to get a good cup of coffee and then mm-hmm. coffee snobs as well so like it's it's an interesting industry that it's it's all based around just this coffee bean and, and what can be done with it, but there's so much focus and passion that goes into all these different aspects. So, yeah, 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 no, it's really cool. Um, like, I, I honestly I can't think of what we've got coming up next. Um, yeah, um, actually, one thing we do is um, we're quite, I personally am quite involved in um, the coffee competition side of yep. the industry. Um, so I'm an accredited World Barista Championship judge um, and I went last year to Dublin um, and judged which was so much fun um, and sort of the last four or five years I've been you know uh, judging at different levels in regional and national comps um, I got to that run that must be good to you know just for the business side of things to just be able to get yourself exposed to the top level of what's going on in coffee mm, throughout the world 100% yeah. and it's, it's really built my palate it's, it yeah. influences a lot of the decisions we make in the business um, and it's also um, it's good because it's it's fun it, like it makes yeah. the industry just so much fun and you see you see the passion that other people put in there and it inspires you yeah I um, 
we buy a brand of equipment from Italy called Della Corte and you know we love them as espresso machines they're very high end very good at what they do um, and because we buy them and use them I you know sort of built a bit of a relationship with them you know we sort of uh, like I, I talk to them a lot and they have this team of people called DC Coffee Pros um, and so you know I built friendships with them um, there's a guy from Melbourne who's one of the co-owners of Code Black Coffee um, there's a, uh, a guy from Mexico Fabrizio um, he came second in the World Barista Championship in 2012 um, and so you know hanging out with these guys and seeing how they think about coffee and what they're doing is just it's crazy inspiring you know kind of like oh, every time I see them I come back with 10 new ideas and you know, sit down with the team and it's like guys we're going to do this now you know <laughs> yeah, I want us awesome. to think about this let's you know let's change this and you know and that's sort of um, yeah that's probably you know what we've really captured from being involved at that level as well yeah awesome um, cool. yeah and uh, future yeah a lot of people a lot of people I talk to even family and friends go oh coffee competitions what's what's that now yeah. and it's like it, that is our our industry's equivalent of the Olympics yeah you know? of course um, yeah uh, if I think about serious sort business of, yeah it, it is it yeah. is actually you know they're they're like elite athletes they have sponsorship deals they yeah. use particular products they use particular you know types of coffee from like specific farms it's just yeah it's wild yeah cool oh, it's a good exposure to go forward and take take Delano into the future yeah awesome. yeah uh, Boris, we'll leave it there. Thanks for talking to me. No, thank you. Thanks, thanks for coming here. Thanks for interviewing us. We, we really appreciate it. Right. No worries. Thanks for tuning in to my chat with Boris Georgiou from Delano Coffee in North Wollongong. If you want to find out more about them, you can check out their website, which is delanocoffee.com.au. And if you want to find out more about us, you can check out our website, quicksandfood.com, or you can find us at Quicksand Food on social media. Get out there and get the book. The Illawarra Cookbook is available on our website, and at all good Illawarra retailers, we'll have a list on our website of retailers as well. Please support independent publishing, please support local food, and thanks for listening to this Illawarra Cookbook Quicksand Food Podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.